drank the dark clouds deeper and ran the wild moon hunting alive with fur and feather as omen apparition we left the moon suspended and leapt back onto the ground Welcome to the Antipodean Arts Podcast, episode 18. I take this time, this moment, and I raise it through awareness, my awareness, our awareness. I invite you to become deeply aware of the country, the place, the land you are in. And to notice breath, and to notice weight, and to notice space. And I acknowledge the country that I am in, the Yagara, Jagara, and Turbal country. And I am specifically in Kurilpa, where we record this. The studio is at the great crossroads of West End. This place of the water rat, the river Mewa, undulates around us. This land has never been ceded. It was stolen and, and occupied by the British Empire and continues to be occupied uh, under the name of the crown. And I acknowledge the past and present and continuing violence and injustices against the First Peoples. And I acknowledge also the strength, survival, power, economic, political, spiritual, magical resistance that the First Peoples continue to participate in and are so obviously leaders in. And I hope that just even a little that the work that we do... Um, and that the people we talk to and that the conversations we have on this podcast help to bring more and more awareness to Indigenous wisdom and to place. Okay. Episode 18. 18. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year, baby. Oh, yeah. One of our, one of our New Year's. The Gregorian 2020. Yeah. Here we are. Womp, <laughs> 2020, and and uh, I'm looking across at Brody Ann, and oh. Brody Ann, you you seem injured. I have my little right wing in a sling. Yeah, you 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 do. <laughs> um, how did that happen? I took a long walk off a short precipice. <laughs> oh, honey. I know. I was up at um, my partner's family farm over Christmas, and. We were stargazing and then I was walking back through the bush and I don't know the country very well and I might have had a, a flute of champagne in one hand uh-huh, and I, I walked off a little little ledge, mm-hmm. a little retaining wall and mm-hmm. then ended up in the bracken. But I didn't break anything. Uh, I've thanks just the gods. A, a few, mm. you know, nice-sized holes mm-hmm. and some gravel rash and it really I love bad nice jarring. Sized holes. I know you do, and I thought you'd appreciate that. So I have one on my elbow, as I've started calling it my hellbow. Oh, this is the hellbow. This is the hellbow. It's giving me fucking hell right now, yeah. but fair enough, yeah. because it took the brunt of a, a big fall. Yeah, honey. <laughs> oh. but you know, it could have been Damien. So I'm glad yeah, that it was me. Yeah, and it could have been. It could have been so much worse. Because when he found me, bottom, well. he's like, "Have you hit your head? Have you hit your head?" And I'm like, "Nah." Were you laughing like a like a pig in mud or something? <laughs> no, I wasn't laughing. I was. It definitely shook the shit out of me. Oh. You know when you land, like it's like I keep saying, it feels like I've been thrown from a horse. It's I do. I have feeling. been thrown if from a horse, thrown from so horse, I know that feeling. And like all your joints and yeah. everything's been shook yeah. real hard. Yeah. yeah, it's like that. Wow. Yeah, but no horse, so no fun. <sighs> I'm all good now. 
I'm, I'm glad to be in this room you. with you. Yes. At the crossroads in Kurupa. Damn straight. Yeah. And yeah, so it, what is it? We're recording this on the 2nd of January in the year 2020, the mm-hmm. Gregorian year 2020. Uh, it is just past midsummer in our wheel. And um, our last episode I know was about, you know, New Year's, uh, first footings, uh, house blessings, sainings, mm-hmm. Hogmanay, and just and, and, and the summer solstice and how we observe and mark. And, uh, you know, and all of that. We, I know we talked a bit about it then, but, you know, the, it just has gotten worse. The, the, the situation in Australia with fires and lack of any leadership politically is just pretty gross. I mean, I guess I was in a bit of a fragile place anyway because I couldn't move and mm. I was sitting there and I tried not to glue myself to the news too much. Mm-hmm. But I found it very difficult yesterday to celebrate anything. Oh, fuck yeah. I went through rituals to protect and, and make sure that my, my house and my family mm-hmm. were taken care of for this mm-hmm. new year. But... There was nothing to celebrate. Like mm. we're seeing footage of people being um, a young, a young volunteer firefighter lost his life this week. Mm. His wife's twenty eight. They're expecting their first baby. Mm. Um, a freak wind. We're, we're kind of currently getting these kind of hell storms that, uh, like a fire tornado, yeah. and it was strong enough to flip a fire truck. If you can even imagine that. Mm. And it crushed this young man to death. So, and I think we've lost five people so far in the fires. And yeah, right now people. we're also not getting any support from government. No, we're seeing, apparently all they care about is cricket. Yeah, well, let's hang out at, at Kirribilli House, which mm. is our like White House, and <laughs> hang out on the lawn and play cricket with famous people and have mm. you know mocktails. And there are young volunteers, volunteers of all ages, all, all over Australia mm, right mm-hmm. now fighting fires. And, and um, people evacuating their homes, and I losing know, everything. I know that M, I know that a friend of mine. I was watching what they were posting on Instagram, and thank the gods for social media in the sense of just like this kind of um, stuff being sent out into the world. Mm. And this person actually does have a, quite a few followers. This famous queer trans person, and um, they were just just um, just putting out stuff from Bateman's Bay and how embers were just flying into people's houses, and just the evacuation center, but also the humanity and wonder, like at the evacuation center mm-hmm. um, and the how people pull together in the face of, you know, poor leadership and just how humans are, can be and have the capacity to be so good to each other. Mm. Um, and I hate, I often resent that it's these kinds of disasters that bring, make, us, that bring together. us together. Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, uh, it's just painful. And like, I say that from the privilege of being in a place right now, that's not facing this at all, really. Mm. Um, and I just, it's very, it's just more than worrying. I don't even know the word for it. I was just, before I got here, I was on um, a Zoom call with a friend of mine who lives in, uh, who, who's newly moved from North America to France. And he was just saying, yeah, like he was asking about the fires here. And I said, oh, honey, like this is the scale of them. Like, mm. you know, 2.12, I think it's million, 2.12 million hectares mm. lost across four countries yeah. um, in South America. I it was 12.2 like, million hectares Our fires right now are the here. size of South Carolina. Like if, if yeah. we're talking like a whole state. Sure. Just give people a kind of um, 500 idea of million having... animals people think have perished. Yeah. 500 million yeah. animals. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I was just reading about that just today like i'd seen it and i Mm. and i went "Mm, Mm. don't know how to don't know how to integrate that information at all Mm. i still don't no 
you know, but I can feel the kick of like my fetch. Like when I, like when oh, I say that fact, there's this kick in me. 120 yeah. billion percent. Yeah. I've been having some major force moments. <laughs> like mm. I'm having some Alec Guinness moments of mm. like, I feel life force calling out and dying in, <sighs> in large numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and I think it's shocking also to, it's not shocking, actually. It makes a lot of sense, but it's kind of refreshing in a way to see the way that um, overseas, um, I don't know, news news stations and newspapers are covering what's happening in Australia because they're all just bewildered at the fact that we are being left to fend for oh ourselves God. with this much. Yeah, I know. Like, if this was happening in any other first world country, like, it's just beyond. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I do have to say I don't I don't, I don't, don't think Trump nor Boris Johnson would have much. T- you, oh, you know, I, I, no. I, think, I think we are in a very similar, and Bolsonaro, we are in a very similar position as those countries mm. with fascism in ripe swing right now. Mm. Um, but, you know, this is, the, this is the reality. We can't sugarcoat it. This is what we have to deal with. We call this the Antipodean Arts Podcast. Mm-hmm. This is what the end part of the antipodes is going through and you know i know that that our dear guest um that we are bringing on today also has you know a lot of just knowledge and empathy around around this very thing well i think even today just trying to work out if we'll be able to contact this guest Mm -hmm. and and what they're going through in in tasmania and australia right now Mm -hmm. i think it's important so I know this is an awkward segue, but it is yeah, it is sorry, a real mate. it is a real segue. <laughs> it's a you know, real it's, segue and I know that this is on right Lee's now. mind and in Lee's heart. So, you know, without further ado, we have this you know amazing guest, traditional witch, poet, author, um, some uh, you know a dear friend of mine, uh, uh, someone who um, is just I think one of the most I don't know fluent, uh, uh, emotionally. Mm, intimate thinkers of um, the craft today and, uh, you know, who has recently had a book published called Sounds of Infinity, which looks at the fairy faith and, and its connection. Right here, to, my Yeah, hobby. I see it. It's Mm-mm-mm. beautiful. And, of course, you know, we had Lily Collard on who did, who did the, um, the art, mm-hmm. um, the, 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 the visual art. Um, so, Lee, how are you? Welcome to our podcast Hi, hi Theo, hi Brodian. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. Just sort of coming down a little bit from a bit of a shock where there was a fire breaking out near where my children were, and we had to go get them. But um, yeah, I think things have calmed down, and I'm I'm here and present. Oh, thank you so much for being with us. Um, so you're obviously the kids were okay. How far away were the fires? Um, oh, they were kind of only just like about a suburb over from where the children were. But mm. the disturbing thing in general is that it's all part of one forest that joins the mountain that we are also living on. So if any of that lost, if they lost control of that fire, it wouldn't have just posed a danger to where my kids were. It would have posed a danger to the whole mountain. Mm. Um, yeah, and just obviously with the shape of the mountain being what it is, it's a biological inferno if it burns. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, a bit, bit shaken. So I know, Lee, that you, you know, you, you, you weren't born in Tasmania, um, but you, you, you felt drawn to, for a variety of reasons, move there. Yes. Um, could, 
because because I'm 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 personally interested, and I know that Brody Ann is interested, and a lot of our listeners are interested in place based. You know what people are now calling bioregional animism. Mm-hmm. Um, like what what brought you to to Van Diemen's Land to that to that island that has had many names and names that are potentially lost to most of us. Um, and yes. and how how what has been some of your journey around cultivating intimacy and connection with the land in which you live? Well, it's very much a work in progress still. And I think that there is a necessary humility in that for people that are living on, on, as you say, unceded territory that um, is someone else's heritage. Uh, I, I think that you only get to belong to it very slowly. I've been here for over a decade um, and I did get, called here in a strange sort of way really um we were in a crossroads in our lives where my partner and i were looking for some sort of solid work opportunity in the steiner system and wanted to you know raise our kids somewhere better and um i had a very vivid vision of the mountain in particular here capped with snow and I couldn't really think of where that was because it was, um, you know, right above a city and and, and like a snow-cupped mountain over a city in Australia. Um, You know, there's only so many options that that could be. But there was a job going at a school down here and when I, as soon as I Googled it actually, I saw the picture of the mountain with the snow on top and I just (laughs) knew that was the place. Um since i've got here i think it's been a slow courtship by degrees uh, which has culminated or at least you know a temporary culmination i guess um Mm. in the sense that i don't know if it's well it probably is going to get deeper that connection but moving up here and actually living on the mountain has been like a sort of a consummation of that courtship Mm -hmm. where i feel like even though I still feel extremely connected to the West Country in England where my family come from, it's um, it's really in me now, this place too, like a jewel, sort of I compare it to polyamory in that way, like sure. both places are my beloved. Yeah, that makes a lot it's of a sense. That's a way to put it, yeah. Yeah. And I understand that um, on some level, like obviously I can never speak to that experience because it's yours, but um, the the idea of being polyamorous in terms of like intimacy with place or even like that in, inheritance, um, mm. certainly Bali feels like that for me. I, I struggle a lot with um, Australia as someone who wasn't even born here um, mm. because I don't think you have to be born in a place to belong to it or to, to cultivate and consummate as you were just saying, but I do think that something about birth and place and breath and, and, and imprint does count. Like it's one of the things that can count amidst the many things that counts. Mm. And, um, mm. and certainly of course, we're walking ancestral vaults. <laughs> so there's that too. We carry lands and memories and Titanic oceans in us. Mm. Very much so. Yeah. I think just the act of um, the fact that my drinking water and a lot of the things I eat are very local to the place, it's undeniable at some level that it's part of you. Yeah, totally. It's so important. It's one of the first things that people don't think about, eating mm. regionally, eating, eating seasonally. Mm. As, a, as a pagan and a witch, I find it mm. invaluable. And I, I actually struggle with people who don't, try at least mm. to, to mm. consume or eat. I mean, why eat 
honey, why drink water from a place that isn't close by? Mm, that's definitely yeah, true. Connect yourself with, with the cycle. Mm-hmm. And it, you are just spoiled definitely. for choice, my love, because every time Lily visits you, I get a really beautiful jar of honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, the honey from and that I island. Eat it oh. and I feel like I'm <laughs> there. True. I can close my eyes. It's the same with any apples that come from their apple cider. Oh, gotcha. I eat it and I'm in the green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what apples and honey were until I moved here. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Speaking of those two things in particular, one of the things that, you know, I have noticed as a guest to that island, having kind of come and gone because of my relationship with you, um, th- I noticed that more and more, and it could be for a variety of reasons, in, in popular consciousness, that island, Tasmania, is being more and more portrayed and and maybe remembered as this uh, bastion of the dark and the gothic and the folkloric mm. and um, and old old buried things. And and recently there was this there's this just amazing series I was talking to Lee before we started recording called the called the Gloaming, <coughs> which is just utterly profound. I'm going home to watch it. It's I utterly profound. Anyone who likes folklore, um, traditional witchcraft, um, uh, murder mystery, true crime. true crime, but it's just, it's just done in this way. That's so real. Like I'm like, Oh, those things they're seeing. I know those things. Yeah. Like it's mm. not, it doesn't, it doesn't alienate me at all. It's like, that's very real. They're yeah. portraying magic and spirits in this way that I understand intimately. I'd love to know more about the production. of it Cause I remember like the reason I wanted to see it is that it was done by some of the same people as the Kettering incident. Ah. And that was also based in, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was Tassie or New Zealand, but it had that same feel, that Antipodean, mm. like, you know, um, far-reaching, horror, colonial horror, horror dark yeah. place of, I think, it's, nowhere else. It's definitely else. here. It's yeah. only 20 minutes away, Kettering. Mm-hmm. Ah, so, Lee, I, I guess my question out of all of that, what I just said and what Brody and Anne just said is, is, is what, what are your reflections on that? Like, how do you feel that is summoned? And I know, I know you are part of that. Um, a lot of your fiction work is a part of that summoning. So, so I wonder what are your reflections on that? Ah, well, I think it's just quite a deep question. (laughs) I mean, Tasmania has quite a dark history, Um, But I think it's more than that as well. I think um, there's a number of factors. I think part of it was that in the early days of colonisation, there was only a very um, what you might call sparse presence of the church down here. It Mm -hmm. was often referred to as the devil's playground because of that, because there wasn't a huge like per number of people, the amount of Christian presence and church availability wasn't high. I think that that is part of the picture in there somewhere. Mm. But I I think it is also to do with there's a huge level of forgetfulness that has been brought about by the near genocide um, that happened down here. I think that the spiritual presence of forgotten things is very strong in a land. Mm. I mean, that's not to say everything, of course, is forgotten and a lot of the descendant families would retain knowledge that might not be known to other people, but still an appalling level of forgetfulness of history and spiritual tradition happened here. And, yeah, I think there's a very strong underworld kind of charge in a place where things become forgotten. Totally. And in a place that's so ancient. Mm -hmm. You can only imagine what must have happened here. I mean, Mm. there could have been so much epic history and stories and stuff that we just don't have any idea of. Yeah. 
And I think that's part of part of it, like because it was such a near complete annihilation. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's part of it. I think also there's been a lot of focus on the Tasmanian Magic Project down here. I'm I don't so know. excited about it. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always I want to throw myself at that gentleman's feet and be like, I'm ready. If you need an <laughs> assistant, I actually want to do the same thing here in Queensland because yes. I found myself working for an architect practice that had access to a lot of government buildings and a lot of, um, you know, land and space and old um, digs that, you know, being, you know, bulldozed over by uh, the Brisbane City Council. And I was mm. like, let me in first. Yeah. <laughs> if yes. there's a hex and foil in there, if there is if there is a shoe buried, and I will find it and I will know. Fashion. And they have been found all around Brisbane and Ipswich yeah. and there's no one here to kind of collect them yet. Yeah. Um, mm. And those things have been disposed of and they'll never be found again. So I'm so excited about the Tasmanian mm. Folk Magic pro- um, Project. Um, mm. We just And it, I suppose it appears that there's a greater density of um, that so. sort 100%. of finds down here, but I yes. doubt that that is actually the case. As you say, it, I think we've just been lucky to have, um, you know, that focus. Yes. Yeah, I think I, I I can imagine why, as you know, for some of the reasons you just kind of gave, that 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 would be the case. That denseness and that proliferation. Mm. I do know that there was a there's a there's a there's a man I um, went to a talk to. I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. We should get him on as a guest. But he's I think he's part of that project, and he um, lives in Ballarat. But he also talks a lot about the um, a friend of mine lives in Ballarat, and. There's a lot of intense folk magic there oh. and interesting fusions between Chinese spirit workers and mm-hmm. Irish spirit workers. In Brisbane especially, yeah. I've heard some incredible stories about the the mixing of, of Eastern and Western magic. Yes, it's really and fascinating. And the Chinese workers and the curses that, that yes. they laid down while they oh, were here. Oh, yeah, there's some... Oh, they yeah. have sort of Brisbane <laughs> out, baby. There's some severe Chinese curses And here. everyone's only just starting to kind of pay attention to yeah. what's happened in our yeah. colonial past in Brisbane. We don't think of ourselves as being as old as other mm. uh, states. But, yeah, in Tassie, I feel like everything is ancient. The The landscape looks primordial. You already mm. feel like you're living a thousand years ago. Sure. And so everything mm. else and it has... And it's close to the South Pole. Like I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Think, I think as well that the pole, the poles are very obviously magnetic, but I mean that in kind of any way I can conjure with that word. And there's yeah. just something about like having, having worked magic and conjured spiritually in multiple places and five continents now. Like I, mm. I, like I've noticed that the closer I get to the poles and the closer I get to the equator, things are very potent. Really? Yes. Mm. Yes. Equatorial magic is quite, um, like when I was living in, in, in Bali, uh, for two years as an adult, I noticed that even, uh, people who I would deride and just, you know, critique as new agey bullshitters, um, they were able to manifest, uh, sorry, they were, they were able to make sorry. things happen very quickly, <laughs> even just with like, just a little bit of leaning in. A little push. Yeah. A little push. I can't discount either that a lot of cultures and societies around the equator are still very spirit working. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this just like thickness of spirits being constantly attended to by everyone. Mm-hmm. And certainly that is true in Bali. Um, Lee, so I'm looking, I'm looking across the desk at this book. Um, Sounds of Infinity that I, you know, I, at this point, I think I read five years ago. <laughs> um, yes. And I, you know, I love it. And, I, uh, you know, I could go on and on about it, but I want, uh, 
Oh, I get lost in it a little bit. This is my <laughs> copy. So, Brody, and you ask a question. I don't. I don't even know what to ask. But um, I guess let me have a look. This is one of the most important books that I've been given lately, so it's hard to critique it, my Ooh. love. Um, you've got both a blend of fiction and non-fiction. Mm. You've got a way of creating and um, imbibing the storyteller, which is part of our, our heritage. It's part mm. of our folk magic that these things are passed through music and through uh, the, the word. Um, how is it different for you to write it down? How do you encapsulate all of it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was it was kind of a painful thing to put together in a lot of ways because I think, you know, the topic of the good folk is quite heavily tabooed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's only a small number of ways that are welcome when it comes to talking about the subject. And I had to sort of go back and redo a lot of things multiple times Uh, And even then, it's been a very complicated process of bringing it to print. It's been beset by a lot of, um, I don't know quite what to call it. I mean, I certainly feel that I had a mandate of sorts to write it. And yet, even then, many things have gone wrong in the process (laughs) of bringing it to print. I think it's just part of the chaotic energy that is behind that subject matter. Really, even when you do something in the old school way of trying to show rather than tell and everything like Mm. that, it's still a very, uh, yeah, I don't know that I would write another book on the subject necessarily. I think this is, this is it. Trying to catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You've done, you've done extremely well, I think. And, and as someone who writes and as someone who reads a lot of things based on because I try to keep my pulse on what's happening in modern witchdom, right? And I've no mm. and I've noticed that lately, uh and I haven't read all those books, but lately there are different different authors writing on the subject. And um yes. and I mean, I could this could be really biased and maybe it is, but also I don't know if it is. <laughs> like my Just say it, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, my my perspective is that you know that you have done excellently and 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 with deep um oh just with deep humility and and poetry like the the the, the book is is strong and i remember um when you know with my ex-partner and and he started showing an interest in in this in this for various reasons and i i remember thinking there's no other book you know and and, and i and i was quite lucky to have it in pdf form but <laughs> there were, i was like there's no other book that i can like like a book at all, but if there's something I can give you to give you a really strong understanding of what this is, you know, having personally experienced the good neighbors quite intimately in various ways across decades at this point, like and many lifetimes, I just, you know, it's 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 hard to it's hard to capture that lightning in a bottle, as Brody Ann mm-hmm. just said, and I'm wondering, mm. like, I know this is very difficult, and I know these questions are kind of frowned upon in some circles but i guess for people who are actually having these experiences with 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 the people and even perhaps for the first time because mm-hmm. we've got a, a lot of people who are listening that might not have worked with um spirit or worked yeah. with the fae and they're experiencing these things for the first time so yeah how would you recommend they move forward yeah um 
I think there's been a really big resurgence recently of the, and there's a particular few thinkers and writers that sort of spearhead that, of the idea of drawing attention to the danger that's involved in fairy encounters and mm. the fact that they're not, um, you know, always just straightforwardly nice. But I, I don't know, I feel ambivalently towards that. I think yeah. that it was probably necessary because there was too much of a swing in the opposite direction for mm. so long sure. of sort of defanging um, <laughs> of of. Fairy. They're all totally. Victorian and they have gossamer wings and they leave yeah. teardrops. On but I almost feel like that's done now. Like I yes. almost, well, at it least if you're keeping up with things, it is done. Yes. Or having um, experiences. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I sort of almost think that we need to move into a realm of understanding that it's an ambiguity that they represent. It's not... Um, you know, a goodness or a badness or a safeness or an unsafeness. Absolutely. It is the ultimate in ambivalence and ambiguity. It's the ultimate in we don't play by any rules. Well, no. Well, human that, rules. Well, there are rules. <laughs> there are rules, but not yeah. muggle rules. <laughs> no, none that are straightforwardly clear mm. on the packet no. necessarily. And it can vary between two different experiences. And so... Mm. I think humans are uncomfortable with ambiguity at the best of times. It's a thing that may, is used in horror a lot to give people like an uncomfortable sensation. Mm. Um, and and I, I sort of, yeah, I sort of go with more of a third road Absolutely. kind of thing. Don't, don't be afraid necessarily, um, but at the same time just approach an experience with a certain <laughs> humility. Don't assume that you know how that being thinks. But at the same time, like, I think we could perhaps go too far mm-hmm. in prescribing mm. fear. Yes. Yeah. And w- uh, would you would you say, uh, Lee, that a similar thing has happened in the realms of traditional witchcraft? In terms of an overemphasis on mm-hmm. the danger and darkness of things. Yes, yes. And, or certain versions and interpretations of what darkness means in binary thinking. <laughs> Yeah, in some circles, like I, th- I think definitely there is a very visible presence of that kind of thing, uh, particularly on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, I think that's where it lives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I some think the people practitioners, darling. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them, uh, yeah, probably know, are, know. but yeah. they've also got like a very strong online life. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a lot of the groups that are just getting on with it that are still doing what we've always done mm-hmm. um, don't really bother with all I that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I can see it out there and I think it's probably just a natural kind of swing, a sort of yeah, reaction of to totally just the same sort of stuff in a different outfit that happened with, um, you know, the fairy faith, for want of a better term, mm-hmm. that, that witchcraft was kind of you know they attempted to make it user-friendly and um, non-threatening for Mm -hmm. a while there naturally because you know there was persecution and such but I think that that sort of that aspect of some forms of what might call itself traditional witchcraft have um kind of acted as a a swing back and you know to that but I I think that both of those things whilst natural and not necessarily the resting state of either of those 
phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I find like I find that you know obviously historically, folklorically, magically that the the good neighbors and uh, and witches or people who have been called witches or people who could be called witches are so naturally cousined um, mm. for various reasons. Like if I think of one of the most um, I guess witchy as fuck <laughs> embodiments <laughs> of, of of sorcery in the way I know it is is the is the sabbatic goat. Mm. And the flame between the horns and the and the and the idea of sex or gender just just transcending binary and duality into into that flame between the horns and mm. and that and that third road that that the queen of Elfame gave Thomas the true and I, I and the crooked the crooked path and I I just think that at the moment that is exactly what humankind needs mm-hmm. and I, and I per- absolutely and I personally have always just felt that the witch is the like in the collective consciousness of humankind I have always just felt that the witch is the provocateur the one who is standing not completely in the darkness but like right there at the edge of the circle of campfire and going hey um, so I'm talking to these spirits out here in the, in what, what humans would call the wild or what humans would call mm. the darkness, like outside of the campfire. And, and I'm, and I'm just, just noticing that, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's some that a just, little bit of a disagreement. yeah, exactly. It's a little bit of a little, uh, yeah. and no wonder mm. she has worn the face of the hag for centuries, if not millennia at this point, mm-hmm. because, mm. you know, our nature, like humankind, I just think is so far. Well, I, you know, I, do, I actually hate being monolithic. So what I'll say is there are as many imperial, imperialist systems of, of, of human being, of human existence just seem to be so fraught and fucked up. And I just think the witch has always been positioned in, in, in adversary, in opposition to empire, I, I, that's mm. that's just where I'm at. Like I don't we're even care. Gonna, like the, we are just enemies of the empire. Well, <laughs> we're just other, and also we straddle the fence. We straddle the hedge, and and always that's it. Whatever so it is, always that. We're speaking to the world. We're bringing it to to folks that understand, and we're doing our best at that, and struggling with the pressure of that as well. Especially mm. in these times, I find. Like in the last few days, like been being lent on. Oh my god, the in, last in few the days! Holy fucking burning, shit! In like in Queensland, I've really struggled. I really struggled yesterday. I yeah, literally can feel what's happening, and mm. um, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, mm-hmm. as Always. most things are for witches <laughs> that we feel mm. this, and we also um, have have the the role to heal and to help and to to try our best to explain or describe that feeling to others that aren't feeling it because we are straddling that fence. Mm. But it is a hard place to be at right now. Mm. Well, it comes back to that notion of ambiguity that I think we share um, with the fairy realm in that people are uncomfortable with that. They don't, they don't want to have to confront something that doesn't have a clear label. There is a... Um, like we're, we're neither there just to blight people's crops or to heal them. We mm. are an ambiguous force in the world. And I think that's what humanity ultimately wants to sort of send away and use as a scapegoat as much as possible is anything which is ambivalent like that, that doesn't mm. have that clear sense of this thing is this thing or that thing. Totally. Yeah. What's interesting to me, Lee, and I think, you know, 
some someday I want to take you to Bali so that you can see and feel it is that there are cultures like so many cultures operate in this idea of the Eurocentric model that that seems to be so quagmired in the binary post-Christianity and potentially even before but Mm. um, in Bali what I've always noticed is this really okayness with ambiguity like even mm. the the ritual form the cosmology is all about and again bali is right there under the equator like right there pushed up into it and there's and volcanically active and and it's on the tech like it's on the ring of fire and all the cultures and the magical systems that seem to thrive there are deeply ambiguous but that that doesn't just lie in the the, the other people who do those things but it just seems to run through the culture and this idea of like, and and so often tr- like holy things are wrapped in black and white um, checker. Like you would have seen that, Brody, and when you were there, and um, and that is a signifier. Here is something uh, magically potent. Here is where the divine intrudes. Here is where the other world spills out, and that is so normal in Bali. And I and I just think like one of the th- like I think I got a he- I think I got a great crashing head start oh, with witchery. An incredible because I can't of imagine that. Imagine being raised there. Like within well, uh, well, my first few yeah, days of being there, yeah. I felt like I was accepted and I was home yeah. to be able to stop at any moment and sit at a, at a shrine. And Absolutely. these were handmade shrines by different families. It yeah. didn't matter what it was or what the moment was. Every moment in what they measure as time is sacred. Absolutely. And I I in you know, was able to be present in that moment yeah. the whole time I was there. And with the same humility that you're talking about, Lee, about the about the good neighbors, which my father would call the jinn. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he but he has when I've asked, you know, Balinese people, like when you ask direct Western questions, <laughs> they they will not answer. But so so when I ask my father direct questions as someone who's very Western molded, he just won't answer. He'll just like fob it off, and then maybe yeah. twenty four or forty eight hours later, he will out of nowhere, out of context answer my question Mm. all of a sudden and that is such a balinese way of thinking and feeling yeah it's really it's really intriguing like i was at the dentist once and my (laughs) and my mum and i were just waiting to go in 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 bali in singaraja and um and i had asked my father a question about his spirit work three days before and all of a sudden he just answers answers me all of a sudden and i hadn't even been direct like i hadn't been in conversation with him just starts talking about all kinds of things that i downloaded don't really feel like talking about but i was just like Oh my god, we're in a dentist's office. Like <laughs> like but it's Bali, so there are literally shrines everywhere. Like what's amazing is even in government offices there are shrines spilled over with flowers and incense and I'm just like, you know what? When I come it back from Bali, I just so cry. Happy. Yeah. It made my heart so happy to be present. I mean, it broke my heart in a lot of respects in terms of the western influence on Bali. Um Yeah. But I was still able, it's resounding the power and the ancientness of the Balinese culture and the shrines and the worship that goes on there. And it was so peaceful. Peaceful, but also chaotic. Chaotic, but I could kneel down in the street. Uh, Yeah, you could. I've never had a place where I'm like, (laughs) I can throw myself down and really, I mean, I was there for reasons where I should be so grateful for everything that was given to me. Sure. And I was given that chance at every street. And, and that's not normal. Well, here. I think that it is normal. <laughs> and it's beautifully normal and yeah. I wish that it was, but And what's interesting to me, and I guess Lee, this is my next question and 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 I think you might have something to say about it is that when I'm in the aisles, when I'm in the 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 Hibernia, when I'm in Hibernia or mm. Alba or Albion or you know these places we now call Britain or Ireland or Scotland. Mm. 
I notice that is still in the land so vibrantly. Maybe mm. not in every person, but I notice it in the land. And certainly when I've been in Cornwall or Somerset or certain parts of rural Ireland, people are like that there. So mm. I'm, I'm wondering as someone who knows the West Country, um, like what, what have been some of your experiences in the islands around that? Well, there's definitely places that are still very much alive um, as sites of spirit contact. Um, some of them that are very layered where there is, you know, a dual use there, like a dual faith observance maybe. It's, I don't know if that's quite the right word for it, but there's there's people who are coming there for the saint that used to be there, um, which still is there in some sense, but also for spirits that are older Mm -hmm. than that. And I think that's one of the things that I miss, like at a soul level very deeply, is being able to just walk off to a place like that where other people have left offerings and Mm -hmm. there's less of that, um, you know, in Tasmania, although there is some of it, there's there's not as much. Um, and and my experiences at places like that is that my my spiritual life and my magic is turned right up yeah. to mm-hmm. fever pitch in the presence of the places where my ancestors are in the ground, yeah. going back, you know, many many hundreds of years. Um. Yeah, I don't quite know how to verbalise some of that, though. Yeah, of course. <sighs> yeah, just some breath for that. Those, mm. those places where ancestors are for hundreds and thousands of years. And, um, yeah, when I first went back to Ireland, and that's how it felt, like even though mm. I had never been there in 2008, my mum my was like, I'm giving you this money to go back. And she'd never, be, she'd never been back. <laughs> You know, she's like fourth or fifth cent, uh, fourth or fifth generation Australian. She knew you needed. She was like, I, I know you want to go. This is, you know, and and I was like, yeah, I fucking want to go because I don't think any of this makes sense until I go to my, you know, my distaff lines country. Mm. My, mm, like exactly. Yeah. Know, so I need to go, and suddenly, so much made sense to me in a way I could not um, articulate with words. Mm. But, um, mm-hmm. but when I, I remember when I went to Ireland and, and, and certain parts of, cause I have a lot of ancestors who are from, um, around London and the Berkshires and, and, um, oh God, what's that place called? Um, Lincolnshire. Really? Yeah. And also in Scotland, like my people, my mother's people just stretch through those islands. All over. Yeah. And, and everywhere I went, I just felt them speaking and it was profound. They were like, Oh, you're, mm. our, you're our child. You're our, you're like, you're, you're from here. Yeah, and I was like, it's all good. yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> Yeah, it's very hard to explain to anyone that real red thread kind of, um, particularly for me, the maternal connection there because my family have been there pretty much forever. And when I was leaving there, like leaving Dorset last time, it's like part of me is going to die. It's mm. it's the most intense feeling. It, it's very, very profound. Yeah, it's funny. I had a, I had a similar experience in Canada and I have no knowledge of my family ever being there, but it was a similar feeling. Mm. Yeah. Leaving there was like a part of me was dying. Mm. Yeah. But being it's, drawn um, to those places. Yeah. Like a missing limb. Yeah, exactly right. Phantom pain is how I described it. Yeah. Mm. Cause I, it's all, it's all that 
there are incredible words. You know, like um, in Japanese or in Norwegian, they have those incredible uh, different words that mean different feelings that we would never be able to articulate in in English. Mm. Yeah. And there were ones that just described like the feeling of the sound going through the pines or mm. that sound of longing for a place that yes. never existed yet and your heart hurts. That's how I feel when I think about Canada or Ireland. Mm. Yeah. And what of, Lee, the idea or the feeling or the experience that several lands can coexist in one place? Mm. Mm, well, that's that's real. I mean, for me, I would link that to the experience of the witch's crossroads of, um, you know, when you're having a very particularly profound experience, something that I might link to the eternal Sabbath, where time and space begin to dissolve or collapse or happen simultaneously, for want of a better way to describe it. I have had that sensation extremely potently that where I come from and all of that stuff that's inside my ancestral vault, as you put it earlier, is here with me. Yes. And that I bring it here. I can't help it. It's not like an act of some mm. sort of spiritual colonization. Yeah. It's simply by the very fact of being born yep. in Australia, which I, I was, um, that I just incarnate that history here and also the land itself is is here in my body so when i bring all those aspects out um yeah in in a crossroads moment it's never really gone from you it's never really lost that's that has certainly been my experience a lot of aboriginal elders that i've had the deep um how would i put it like for me it feels like pleasure um honor to be with and sit with and listen to have always said to me that the land wants to know where we're from and that in many aboriginal cultures um that exist in this continent and in tasmania now um because of the the strait um the there's this there's this deep sense of like please tell me everything about you where you've come from who you come from like why you've come from before you even tell me your name. Mm. The last mm. thing you should tell me is your name. Mm. And that, and that, and that, and what I treasure, like I work very closely magically with people who are also Aboriginal and who are also witches. And um, that is one of the main things I've learned mm. is that first I tell the land everything about the lands I've come from as much as I can tell the histories, the invasions, the occupations, the changes, the, you know, all of that. And then I say my name at the very end. Mm. And, and I feel like, I feel like in some ways, um, you know, knowing you and, and, and I, I feel like you know that too. Sort of perhaps instinctually more so than anyone telling me, but I'm glad to know that that is law yeah. for people. Like, totally. That's great. Like, I think I, I can really relate to that. I, I want to know those things too. That's why I feel the tragedy of that lost history or you know lost at one level um in the land here because i want to know that too in response like i want to share that with the place mm. yeah totally uh one of my one of my close friends sal um 
who is also a witch and, and, and Nagarago, a Nguyen woman, has always said to me, not lost, but stolen. Mm. And that's, yes. the th- that's the thing with colonization, stolen. Mm. And um, that is fucked up. <laughs> and I'm wondering, um, I just... <sighs> This is also possibly instinctual, but with your with your most one of well one of your most recent books, and I think the most recent to be published, um, Sounds of Infinity. I feel like I feel like something you're responding to is some things were stolen, and mm. and here like so I'm wondering what like why did you write that book? Mm, that's that's a very interesting question. Um, oh, it was so long ago, and I began it now. Like I I, I came up with the inspiration I suppose for it in 2011 um and I think it was just a thing that started happening through me I didn't actually really want to write it um as such it was just a um an imperative that started I I couldn't find a book that said the things that felt true yeah about that subject and I I wanted to just see what would happen if I allowed something and I because of the way I think naturally because of the kind of um academic life that I had before all of this I tend to find it very easily very easy to link together story and research and Mm -hmm. because to me everything is a story like the research part of it isn't separate yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying that I have no respect for facts or for references or anything like that, but to me, um, it's still an art form that yeah. process of linking together the material. And I, I thought, like, I wanted to salvage whatever I could in terms of research material, but at the same time, I felt like there was a particular creative aspect, a particular poetic aspect to that material that I. I wanted to kind of hint at or point to. I don't feel that I have the final say on anything, of course. Like I don't feel that it's the final thing that ever needs to be written on the subject or anything mm. like that. But I did just feel that perhaps, um, you know, my creative history could allow me to bring something particular to it. And so I let it happen more so than wanted to write it. Mm, mm. Well, thank thank you for that answer. I know I, I I know that some of these answers are kind of might seem a little harsh <laughs> in their in their quality, and I and I thank 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 you for for your for your just willingness. Um, also, I really want to talk about your Christopher Penrose novels because actually, out of all your writing, Lee, um, I those novels I think are just profound. Um, I I, well, um, I talk about them constantly. <laughs> and, um, when I'm in Turtle Island or uh, North America, um, I I often um, when I'm teaching and 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 doing intensives and specifically when things about the good neighbors come up, I, I'm like, well, there is a series that you can that can give you an idea of actual experiential intimate inter- intimacy with them. Um, and that's the Christopher Penrose novels. And I, I think, I think actually it's in terms of published material, it's up to the third novel. Is that correct? Or the fourth novel? Um, published is up to three, but I am actually in the birthing pains of bringing out number four at the moment. Yeah. Yes. And um, I always feel so really lucky <laughs> because I've read them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mind you, there has been significant oh, reworking. For I'm, you, excited. So. I'm excited. I'm excited. 
Good. I'm glad. That's actually very exciting because <laughs> because I feel like they're living things. So I guess my、mm. question to you is, well, I don't know if it's a question, but it's just like I guess I want to pr- proclaim like that those novels are fucking excellent and、mm. should also be made into a television series. <laughs> <laughs> Like a really good one. Let's get the big HBO budget in, though. Sure, or or whoever、that. the fuck. Or BBC, or, like they did.、Um, oh, what was that incredible one? Professor Norrell and Doctor Strange. Oh my god, that was really good. It was incredible. That was very good. But、If、whoever made this fucking gloaming thing should be making fucking Christopher Penry novels. Tasmania, Chris. Yeah. I mean, it's not really set there, but we're gonna push it. <laughs> Lee, could you tell? <laughs> could you could you tell could tell us and 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 our and our listeners、uh, who are who are just like so loyal? Thank you, listeners.、Um, could you tell them about this series? Sure.、Um, well, I began writing it when I was twenty-one,、um, so the books have grown up with me a great deal. That's why there's been significant rewrites、um, because the writer that I am now. Is so much different to the writer I was when I started,、um, and in some ways I worry about that because I think people are going to read book one and go, "Oh yeah, it's okay." But if they read book four, I feel like it would knock their socks off. <laughs>、um, True. But at the same time, I'm glad because I feel like the books have grown up with the main character.、Yeah. Um, you know, I was almost the same age as the main character when I wrote the first one, and whereas now I've got a great deal of Extra perspective.、Um, once again, I didn't really decide to write them. They started happening when I was in the UK.、Um, yeah, at that age, and they just continued on with me. I don't know, or at least I think for most of the time, I didn't know what they were or what I was trying to do or write. But gradually, as they've grown, I've realised that they they are one of the biggest magical workings of my life. Yeah.、Mm. Time and that they resulted in strange and uncanny things. And totally. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel full ownership of them in that regard. I、mm. feel as if、um, they're still writing themselves. And、um, obviously, I did want to say things about、um, you know the nature of fairy and witchcraft and a lot of things that are easier to talk about as a story than they are as. You know,、um, nonfiction. Totally. But at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't go into them to write a teaching resource. I didn't、no. go out to write something instructional. And I think that's what's always frustrated me about the greater popularity of my nonfiction、mm. is that people seem to prefer that instructional element, whereas I think there is something actually deeper to be experienced in. Immersing yourself in something which tries to tap into the poetry. A hundred percent. I think that's how we were. We were taught originally.、Mm. I don't think things were sit down and judge. It、mm. was. It was oral tradition. It was poetry. It, it was inspiration. It, it was、mm. planting those thoughts and those stories in in a person's mind so that、yeah. they carried on. For another generation, exactly,、yeah. and and there and was nothing written down. There was nothing tangible. It was the magic of the story and the power of the story that made it survive. And the body、mm. is the word, and yeah, it's closer to how、word. I teach. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hundred、um, percent. Directly, like how how I would teach、yeah. the craft in that kind of、yes. skin、oh, to breath. You kicked my butt. I <laughs> I finally got to do an incredible workshop with you a couple of years ago when I first met you in. 
it definitely was different to any other workshop I'd done and it kicked me onto a different path. Mm. And, yeah, it was real. Mm. I don't know how else to describe it, my love. Mm. It was really incredible. And um, whether it's through your fiction or nonfiction, I think people should read what you have to say and, and experience these things for themselves. Uh, and you're mm, such you're in such important. a magical part of Australia. Totally. So we're so glad that you could speak to us about it and and also through all of this madness that's going on right now. Mm. Um, mm. We're sending all our love to you and and to the the family and the mob and to the mountain. Mm. And um, thank you. Yeah, you know if you need anything, you call us here and we'll be there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> thank you very much. The same goes for you guys. Yeah. Likewise. So thank you, Lee, so much. And if and if um, you know, if if people want to access your works, your public works, like how would they do that? How would you prefer? How would you like they do that? This is your spot. Spruik, spruik, spruik. Do it. <laughs> okay. Um, my website probably has the richest um, access to my online work, and love it. That. That's lee-morgan-lyhb.squarespace.com. Sorry about the complexity of my URL. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, I've also got an Instagram under Ensor's Masks. Oh, um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Thank and, you. of course, I'm on Facebook too. Yeah. So I just, I guess I want to, I guess I want to say that, you know, as someone who has a Venus in Gemini and for those <laughs> non-astrologers um, out there, or uh, what that can mean is that a Venus in Gemini relationally has a lot of people in their life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and as someone who has that um, in the fourth house, um, I guess I, what I would say is that, you know, what I've always thought, I, I have had a lot of teachers in the craft, you know, I've had a lot of mentors and teachers and, 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 and you are like a, a beautiful, just pristine, <laughs> uh, like shining star. And, um, and yeah, I just have a lot like right now, like I, like what's real for me is this overwhelming emotional, just love for you and, um, oh, and you. deep, you know, deep joy that I know you in this life, in this world. And, and acknowledge that you are someone who acts in integrity and just proves that again and again to me and, um, and is somewhat like a bastion of uh, just, just truth in, in I'm just going to say it. If someone wants to learn about real magic and they live in the Southern Hemisphere, read Lee Morgan's mm, books. That's true. Stay in touch with Lee Morgan online. And, and read, if he ever comes to your capital books. city, all the books, and if he comes to a capital city near you, you need to go and experience one of their workshops. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being mm. with us. It's a real blessing. I know yeah. it was a very stressful and scary day for you. Um, we made it work. We made it work. Our you hearts are work. with you. And Thank um, you. I hope to see you very soon. I hope so too. <laughs> um, thank you for having me. Anytime. Yeah. Blessings, love. Mwah. We lay upon the hill that lay beneath the wolf sky. We felt the dark clouds falling and omen apparition. And with the thunder rolling, how conceited the storm. We lay beneath the wolf sky. We lay beneath the wolf sky. This has been the Antipodean Arts Podcast. Music by Wendy Rule. The song is Wolf Sky.